We'll hear argument next in number 96-1462, Christopher H. Lunding versus the New York Tax Appeals Tribunal. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. In calendar year 1990, I was a lawyer practicing law in the city of New York and residing some 38 miles from my office in the state of Connecticut, some 9,000 feet plus or minus over the state border. It is something I did not think of when I moved to the state of Connecticut that I would be here today on my own behalf challenging a statute of the state of New York as discriminating against me as a non-resident in taxation. What, 9,000 feet would be roughly, what, two? A little less than two miles over the state line, Your Honor, into Connecticut. Well, but, oh, okay, okay. Right. Close to the border. Not that I think in, in Canada that is... That doesn't make a difference. No, it does not, Your Honor. I do not urge that the distance from the state line is legally relevant in this case. Um, what is legally relevant, though, is the question of the constitutionality of New York State Tax Law 631b6, which entirely denies... You don't, you don't yeah. argue, do you, or maybe you do, that in apportioning this income for people who work full or part-time in New York, that New York has to allow uh, personal deductions of various kinds to... Uh, out-of-state residents, do you? I mean, deductions that don't relate to the production of income in New York? Well, Let's talk about that kind of deduction. It, it doesn't relate to the production of your income in New York. Now, does New York have to uh, worry about personal deductions of that kind? Uh, uh, well, the um, money is fungible, uh, Justice O'Connor, and uh, a substantial portion of my income and a much more substantial person, portion of other taxpayers, non-resident in New York income, is earned in the state of New York. I think there could be made a persuasive argument that because of that, it is a requirement of the Privileges and Immunities Clause that non-residents be allowed to take deductions in proportion that their New York income bears to their total income for personal expense items. It is not necessary to reach that point in this case, and that's particularly because the nature of alimony is very different from the nature of other personal expense items in several respects. In the first respect, in the state of Connecticut, as well as in other states, the amount of alimony is based, must be based, upon the payor's total income from all sources. Inevitably, uh, one case so holding is Wanatowitz versus Wanatowitz, which is found in 533A2. Um, because of that, 
inevitably, in the setting of the amount of the alimony, my New York income was taken into account. So that's point number one. There's a direct connection there between the alimony and my New York income, which is not present if it were a charitable deduction or real estate tax or any number of... You, you couldn't you say, too, that you couldn't afford a very nice house in Connecticut, which perhaps you have, uh, if you didn't make a good deal of money in New York, and therefore that New York ought to allow your uh, property tax in Connecticut to be deducted. Uh, that may be true, but it wouldn't... But the property tax would, would not be determined based upon my New York income in part. That's the difference I'm articulating here. Alimony specifically is determined on the basis of total income. Property taxes are determined on the basis of the value of the real estate in question and therefore not so clearly connected. Yes, but that would be true even supposing your divorce took place while you were getting all your income in Connecticut and then you later started to practice in New York and had the same alimony. Would that make it a different case? Um, well, we, uh, we you're relying on the fact that your alimony is partially determined by your New York income, but we'd have the same case before us if that were not the fact. I, I believe I must say that that is correct, as, as, and it's because this statute has as its unitary basis for discrimination, non-residents and no other factor. It is, of course, true that only that factor is really before this court, and to some degree, all other elements are extraneous. Well, I, I'm... I'm yeah. Not sure that that's the way the state of New York would see it. Won't, wouldn't they say we're not discriminating based solely on residents? We're discriminating based on A, non-residents, and B, the fact that this particular deduction was not related to the earning of income in New York. Well, that that and, and it, right. that seems to me very, very a very different case. Well, they they are discriminating. No, right. am I characterizing their position correctly to begin with? Well, let, let me perhaps not. Let me let me go back and state the analysis here under the Privileges and Immunities Clause. The, the, the first element is: is this statute discriminatory against non-residents? There's two-pronged test. I, I will answer your question, but in a long way, if I may. The first test is, is to be satisfied: is is this statute discriminatory? Well, this statute is discriminatory. It has one sole, unique, intentional purpose, which is to discriminate against non-residents by denying this particular adjustment to income. That element is satisfied in this case. Uh, the state of New York is unclear, actually, on that point, but objectively, we certainly assert that it's satisfied. Mr. Dundee, uh, let me ask you about yes. that, because I had always thought of alimony as an income splitting between the payor and the ex-spouse. Correct. Now, I could see, uh, if you were presenting us with a situation where what New York lets you deduct, they tax to your ex-spouse, so then New York gets the tax on that amount of money that you earned in New York. But you would like to take the deduction, while on the income side, if there is any income, it is to the ex-spouse who is a Connecticut resident. So it seems to me, you say, let me take the sweet, and New York will be stuck with the bitter. Well, I, I would not agree with, with that conclusion, Your Honor, but I would point out this about the nature of alimony. The statute calls alimony a deduction, and we were talking about personal deductions here. Alimony is not really a deduction at all. For federal purposes and for New York purposes, it is an adjustment to income, meaning it is uh, and, and it is taken out of the income of the payor, transferred to, uh, functionally, the responsibility to pay tax, transferred to the income of the payee or the recipient, 
for tax purposes. On your federal return, that's the way it works. And if you're resident in New York, that's the way it works. Yeah, and it, that's irrespective of where the recipient lives. Yes, and in the right. federal union, that's fine because the, well, but, the IRS right. is going to get it either way. The, right. the, the husband or the wife could be, deducts it, and the one who receives it pays income on it. But when you're in one state and you're dealing with non-residents, in the generality of cases, if you have a marital situation, it's in the state of their residence. Yeah. So one state is going to get the income to tax. The other state is not going to get that tax. So there seems an imbalance there. And my only question is, why is it a violation of privileges and immunities to say that when New York doesn't get the chance to tax the one who's getting the money, getting the alimony, it shouldn't have to give a deduction to the one who's paying it. Well, my point there was if I had been a resident of New York, there would have been an adjustment in which I would have been absolved entirely for the tax on the alimony amount, and it would have been transferred to my spouse. Now, the New York statute doesn't require for that operation for a resident that the spouse live in New York. The spouse could live anywhere in the world, and if the spouse did not live in New York, there would be no tax captured by New York on any part of that transferred income. That, so this is really, I believe, a factor which is not a motivating factor for New York, and if you look at it in terms of the incidence of the tax as to residents, uh, it apparently is completely irrelevant in the, in the, in the economic analysis. Um, in, in the case of non-residents, in any event, the, the, the residence of the recipient is also irrelevant. The statute doesn't say, which it could, uh, if, if the recipient lives in New York and therefore we tax that money in New York, we let you off the hook, Connecticut taxpayer. It hits everybody. This is a, this, these are another example of extraneous elements that are not really involved here, where the only basis for discrimination is non-residence and everything else is irrelevant. Now, I don't, I don't think we, we, can, we completed our brief yeah. colloquy on what yeah. you think the standard is. Well, uh, does New York have to treat residents precisely the same as non-residents in every category of taxation? Well, Austin versus New Hampshire teaches us that New York has to uh, treat non-residents under a rule of substantial equality of treatment. And Can that substantial equality of treatment be based on a theory that the income, pardon me, that the deduction or the adjustment um, must be related to the income that's earned in New York uh, and income-producing activities in New York. As regards personal expenses, the answer is no, because money being fungible as a practical matter, looking at the actual practical impact of the tax, uh, which is the method of analysis, not labels, not anything else, but the actual practical impact, there is a discrimination here. There is a higher tax paid by non-residents than by residents. It is not insubstantial in this instance or in any other, and it is much worse in the case of people with proportionally greater New York source income in proportion to the whole. And therefore, New York may not, the petitioners urge, distinguish between the two in the manner that this statute does. Now, you don't earn all your income in New York, is about, that correct? About half of it, in my case, year in, year out. That's but right. a person who earns all income in New York but lives in Connecticut, strictly the bedroom community situation. There are many such people, yeah. Uh, as to that person, there would be a very substantial difference, I suppose. Well, 
the, the state if has alimony a, is not deductible. Or, or well, it would be yes, that is correct, and it, the the amount of course would vary according to how much alimony and in proportion to total income, but in that scenario, the amount which would be paid by the non-resident in New York tax would be greater than the amount that would be paid by a resident of New York. I mean, in whole dollars, not in proportion to anything. And this is another problem with the way this statute does operate. Um, May I ask a question just to, for my own clarification? Yes. Is it correct that the rate that New York imposes on the non-resident is based in part on the non-resident's non-New York income? That's correct. Uh, the case that allowed that is named Brady versus State, and they take into account worldwide income in setting the rate, which is progressive. Do you, do you, did you, you didn't challenge that feature of the tax in this case? Uh, no, I did not, and I, therefore I don't have the standing to. I have a view on it, but I don't think it's appropriate necessarily to state it at this time. <laughs> uh, but you were, yeah. What is the top rate? Uh, I don't really, 9%, I believe, currently. I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, what it is today, but it's eight, eight or nine percent is the, uh, and I'm thinking about 1990. I frankly don't remember, but that's ballpark, and it is progressive. And they do tax, they do take into account in setting the rate worldwide income, and that could be another basis upon which uh, it could be said, as a matter of the privileges and immunities clause, that they also must allow some proportion of worldwide deductions, whatever they may be, or adjustments because, strictly speaking, alimony is not a deduction, not subject, for example, to the federal limit on deductions, but an income transfer, as Justice Ginsburg pointed out. But an income uh, transfer that can be very beneficial. Well, the, the, the actual effect in any particular case will, of course, vary and according to the personal circumstances where the, the, the receiving ex-spouse lives and, and many other factors, but the effect of this statute in all cases compared to the situation if the statute were not there will be to discriminate against non-resident taxpayers who pay alimony because this reduction in their income, um, uh, taxable income, will, will obviously uh, discriminate. Well, when you say discriminate, you mean treat differently, I think. Treat differently than residents who pay alimony. Yes, that's what I mean. And the amount in this case is $3,724 for the year 1990 in my particular case, or a 15% increase in the tax in my case. But you did that? Is Connecticut has an income tax? It did not have a tax on earned income in 1990 Which at all. The year in question. Issue. But ordinarily, if, if the state has an income tax, the resident state, you could then deduct the New York tax from the Connecticut tax. I'm just trying to see how much um, in practice is left when you take into account, well, you had to pay New York more, but then you got a bigger deduction in your home state. Um, well, the, uh, looking at the matter currently, um, the tax rate in Connecticut is 4.5%. The tax rate in New York is, uh, I don't remember, 8 or 9%. The deduction in Connecticut is at the rate in Connecticut, and therefore there still is something left over to be discriminatory on that regime, 4.5%, whatever it is, the difference between the marginal rates in the two states. And, but, and in but, figuring the, the level of discrimination, do we take account at all? of the tax that's being paid on these funds by the Connecticut resident who's receiving them? No, and that is because in Austin versus New Hampshire, this court held that the constitutionality of one state statute that discriminates against non-residents may not be depend upon the present configuration of the statutes of another state, which is what we're talking about here. 
at the, the state of Connecticut what its tax laws may or may not be at any particular time cannot be the basis for holding constitutional this discriminatory statute in the state of New York. Are, are there some deductions or, or credits that um, really are closely tied to the taxpayer's domestic life as opposed to his or her business life? Well, um, there are commentators, Professor Hellerstein uh, in a 1974 article in the Michigan Law Review seems to suggest a possible test in the abstract that there would be some particular uh, deductions which are particularly tied to the particular circumstances of the state of residence without identifying what they are. Um, Isn't it true, uh, Mr. Lunding, that the standards by which tax, tax law classifications are judged are about the most generous known to the law? Uh, no, I, uh, uh, I don't think that, uh, well, the petitioners would not agree with, with that statement. Austin, well, several of our cases uh, say that perhaps not in the privileges and immunities clause context, but just in the sense of classification generally for tax laws. Well, the, um, the standard there, um, I'm thinking of allied stores versus Bowers, which is one of the places where the test you are describing, I believe, is set forth. Uh, assuming first that the particular uh, act by the state does not violate the federal constitution, which is what it says in that case, there is a wide latitude. But if it, but if well, but that, that assumes the conclusion, which is there's a yeah. total latitude if it doesn't violate the federal constitution. Well, that, yeah, and in any event, that is not the, yeah, uh, yes, that's correct. But but the issue in the privilege and immunities context, in light of Austin versus New Hampshire. The first thing is that there's a standard of review substantially more rigorous under the Privileges and Immunities Clause for state taxing decisions affecting individuals than affecting business organizations, trades, or professions. That is part of what the case says. And therefore, I would not agree that if there is a, um, in this context, a greater degree of latitude than in others. In fact, in the taxing area, petitioners would argue that this is a case where a substantially heightened scrutiny is required a rule of substantial equality is required, and it is our position that it has not been met in this instance. Mr. Lenning, I, I hate to think we're going to have to go through uh, uh, state deductions uh, one by one uh, in order, in, in case after case, in order to decide uh, which must be allowed to out-of-staters and which need not be. Uh, hmm. What is your criterion for whether it must or, or need not be? Well, the only criterion that needs to be addressed, well, I guess I understand. Uh, I'll answer the question in two parts. The only criterion that needs to be addressed in this case is evidently whether alimony has an adjustment, and I've stated the unique aspects of that. But so, if that's but, all we do, then, then we're going to have to no have another case on the next item and another case on the next item. I, I want a well, principle. The, the, the simple principle okay. view, the simple principle view is that uh, when you're talking about taxes which fall by their terms upon personal service income, and this is a personal income tax in New York, that's the label that goes on it, that's what it taxes. My personal individual income in New York. When the state wishes to tax a non-resident's personal income, the bright line rule would be that if there are personal deductions, uh, no matter what they are, or adjustments, such as alimony, no matter what they are, then they must be allowed in the proportion that the New York State income bears to total income. What, what are non-personal deductions? Business expenses for um, uh, running a donut shop in Connecticut or something along those lines uh, might be treated differently. Uh, and I'm thinking of Schaffer versus Carter, uh, which appeared to do that. Uh, whether there's a principal basis to treat any deduction differently, um, 
Uh, we could debate, but we're talking about personal deductions oh. here, and I was trying to answer your specific right. question on that subject. What about, what about, what about home, home, excuse me, what, what, what about life insurance uh, what, what or mortgage interest? What, no, what, what about a, a deduction for investing in a solar panel for your home, which is in Connecticut? Well, uh, <laughs> responding to Justice Scalia, the bright line rule, which will avoid what, what the problem he foresees, is to just say, if you tax personal income, you must give all personal deductions that the state gives to its own residents in the proportion that the income in that state bears the total income. So that, Therefore, the answer would be for solar panels or for anything else, if New York gives that personal deduction from personal income of its residents, it must do so in proportion for non-residents which it taxes. Of course, when I asked you that question at the start, you said, oh, no, 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 we're just talking about alimony here, and there's right. a big difference, and that's all we're talking about, and we're not going to talk about personal uh, well, Now we've got a whole different problem. Well, no, he asked me a hypothetical right. question about where the line would be in right. if we were dealing with other subjects. It is, it, to be clear, it is our position that the question before the court today is one and unitary, and that is the, the, the adjustment for alimony issue, and we do believe it's different. And I pointed out why I believe it's different for many reasons from the standard run of personal deductions. Lemming, you do not get into solar panels or other matters. Are you attacking the, the New York statute as it applies to your particular facts? Or are you saying it's invalid as to everybody who doesn't get an alimony deduction? The latter is the answer. Across the board. It, it is. It is uh, yes. So you're in effect here on behalf of the person who has 100% New York uh, income. 100% of his income comes from New York, but. If his alimony is out, if he's a non-resident, he gets taxed at a higher rate than the New York resident. It is certainly true that the petitioners view themselves, well, we are attacking the statute on its face, not as applied to the petitioners in particular, and proceeding, um, uh, if you will, by uh, principles of stare decisis, at least, whatever happens here, for the benefit of all other non-residents similarly situated who pay alimony. Then we get into this fascinating question of what is the standard for judging a facial attack, because under your view, you might say it's clearly unconstitutional in the hypothetical you have in your brief about the, the uh, all of income comes from uh, uh, a, New York, you know, a New York resident and a non-resident both earn all their income in New York. Right. On the other hand, at the other end of the spectrum, you say it's perfectly all right, you might say it's perfectly all right on a fact picture such as yours, because oh. the, your income is, you know, is, is well, different. Uh, it would, it, we, we, the petitioners evidently would not agree with that conclusion, Your Honor. But, but uh, I think I may bring in here uh, some, some question of the particular laws of New York and why I'm standing here alone rather than in a representative capacity or some other. Uh, uh, New York um, has a rule which was uh, stated in a case called Martin versus Levine, L-A-V-I-N-E, in 1976 and elsewhere, including in the Intermediate Appellate Court in Brady versus State, that when a tax statute is challenged in New York, generally speaking, you cannot have a representative action. You have to proceed individually. And, um, uh, and therefore, in the state court system, which is where this started, you were prohibited from proceeding in a representative capacity. I didn't know that you could sue for uh, a refund or in, in the federal system either in a class action capacity. Isn't well, that generally the rule with respect well, um, to challenges? Um, I can only say in Brady versus State, which involved the question of considering worldwide income and setting the progressive rate in New York, it was brought as a class action, and it was it was stopped as a class action because of this rule, which, and the rule is based on the theory as to the government that an individual who would win a case on the constitutionality of a statute 
gives the benefit to all others by way of stare decisis, and therefore there's no need for... Oh, this court has said that in a number of, of cases. Yes, of course. But uh, Let me just be clear that yeah. this is, you do have to, uh, if you're invoking privileges and immunities, give us some kind of principle yeah. uh, th- that you, you are candidly saying, yes, anything that's personal, including your medical expenses, including what could be ambiguous in some cases, like life insurance, whether it's to protect the business or to protect the individual, but all of those, uh, you have to be treated just like a resident. I'm saying if a bright line rule is desired, which is what Justice Scalia asked, that that would be a rational bright line rule which would avoid the necessity for future definition of what is or is not appropriately required. But but it's not this case, and we do not argue for the adoption of such a general rule in this case. This case is limited to alimony. And, and the only purpose of the petitioners here is to have a decision on the question of whether the adjustment for alimony, which in many ways is different from other sorts of, of, of items which are deductions, must be given as a matter of constitutional right under the Privileges and Immunities Clause. Well, and you need not get into all this. Assuming we would permit me for just one reason to... Yeah. Justice Scalia and Justice Ginsburg and I have all asked you, what is your... We have to write this, this opinion. Yes. <laughs> Uh, th- this violates the Privileges and Immunities Clause because it's not equal? That, that, that's, not because my, that's not the standard. We need a standard that's more specific than that. It, it, it favors... It, it, well, I think the standard under Austin versus New Hampshire is that there is a rule of substantial equality of treatment of non-residents mandated by the Privileges and Immunities Clause in the area of judging the constitutionality of state taxes which impact non-residents. And... The petitioner's view of the matter is that uh, in this instance there is a lack of equality, there are no reasons for it which are cognizable, and accordingly it's a rather simple matter that, that this particular exaction in the statute which gives rise to it is unconstitutional. Mr. Uh, Lending, uh, right. I, I too would like to have, if not a bright line rule, at least a bright line principle, and I have mm-hmm. this reservation about the one that you've suggested. You suggest a, a line to be drawn essentially between personal um, uh, expenses uh, and uh, or deductions and, and, and business deductions, deductions for the production of income in the other state. Hmm. My reservation comes for this reason. You also suggested, and, and I thought with some cogency, hmm. uh, that because New York takes into consideration worldwide income when the rate is set, Therefore, New York ought to take into consideration worldwide deductions. Uh, the income, the worldwide income that New York takes into consideration includes business income, I assume. Yes, it does. And therefore, if we were to adopt what I suggested might be a cogent rationale, I think we've got to go the whole hog. And I think we've got to say whatever is related to the production of any income or whatever would be appropriate as a deduction from any income must be allowed in New York pro tanto. Certainly petitioners would not object to such a rule, for, but, but yeah. I mean, I, I can understand um, uh, the, the struggle here. Wait a minute. I, I don't mean to indicate that, I don't mean to indicate, though, uh, Justice Souter, that there should necessarily be a different rule for business than for personal deductions. I mention that only because of Schaffer versus Carter. And it, there are no business deductions involved in this case. Uh-huh. Surely that would be an unfair rule, because New yeah. York takes into account 
out-of-state income for yeah. purposes of what, what rate you pay. That's right. But it does not tax you on that out-of-state income. No. So it would certainly be unfair to let you get dollar-for-dollar get dollar deductions on that outcome. We're only asking for it in proportion. We're not asking for it dollar-for-dollar. Dollar. We're asking for it in the proportion that the New York state income bears to the total income. And, and, and because of that, um, uh, it doesn't... It, it, it doesn't raise the question of fairness, which I think you're... Well, and you're only asking for it to the extent that New York allows the same deduction for its own residents. Yes, it can certainly make the decision not to allow it to its own residents and then need not give it to non-residents, and that's true whether it's a deduction or an adjustment or they use some other label, because as this Court's decisions uh, tell us, labels are not determinative, it's the practical effect. Well, I thought our test was something along the following lines, that a statute that discriminates against non-residents must be justified by a substantial reason for the discrimination against the non-residents beyond the mere fact that they're citizens of another state. What do you think the reason is that's offered by New York here? Well, the, and is it substantial? Well, the, 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 the two reasons. One is that there exists untaxed income uh, meaning they can't reach it because of the due process clause under Schaffer versus Carter, and for that reason they're free to discriminate as they please, which is their actual position as regards personal deductions, adjustments, or whatever. That part of the position is foreclosed by Travis versus Yale and Town, which says because the statute does not condition its discrimination on the existence of untaxed income, whether that exists or not is irrelevant to the constitutional constitutionality of the statute on its face. So that reason number one, Travis takes out. The only other reason that, uh, and my colleague will speak for himself, but the only other reason that I uh, foresee here is the lack of connection argument, which we've been talking about for most of this oral argument, and we allege that there is a sufficient connection, an obvious connection, and that therefore the statute is unconstitutional on its face. If I may, I'd like to reserve the remainder. Well, I have no time remaining. <laughs> thank you, thank you, Mr. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Mr. Bain, we'll hear from you. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. The issue in this case is really whether New York is required by the Privileges and Immunities Clause to afford non-residents an alimony deduction because it affords the same alimony deduction to residents. In New York's view, New York is not so required because the basis upon which New York taxes residents and non-residents is completely different. New York's taxation of residents is based on the fact that they reside within New York Residents giving New York plenary jurisdiction over their income from every source worldwide. With respect to non-residents, the basis of New York's taxation is that But we should address at the outset the, the one little flaw in that presentation, namely the rate is in part determined by non-New York income. And therefore, whether directly or indirectly, you are to a certain extent taxing the, this gentleman more, at a higher rate than you would a... a, a, a someone who had just the same amount of New York income who lived in New York that he has. Justice Stevens, it is correct that uh, we tax, that the rate is set uh, based upon the non-residents worldwide income, but as Justice Scalia pointed out a moment ago, we are not taxing the... Uh, but you really are in a way. If the, if the, the bottom line, you get more money than you would if, uh, if that weren't the fact. Whether you say it's taxing, it does, it does affect the total tax he pays. It, it affects the rate, Justice Stevens. The, the but then when it affects the rate, it requests the, the amount of money on the check he has to write to you. The, the, uh, does it, it not? It does. Yeah. What's the percentage 
Uh, you say that, I believe Mr. Lunding says, the high end of New York's tax rate was 9%. What is the low rate? What is the low end? During the, uh, during 1990, the, uh, the lowest marginal rate for uh, married filing jointly and surviving spouse was 4%, and the highest rate at which I believe the, the top marginal rate was 7.875%, which was the rate at which the additional deficiency was calculated in this case. Now, let's consider the situation which must occur with some frequency of people who earn all their earned income in New York and live outside the city, outside the state. Those and the end result is going to be the payment of a substantially higher tax than would be the case for a similarly situated New York resident who nevertheless lived in New York. It is true that in the case of the non-resident who derived all or substantially all his or her income in New York, that the tax that the non-resident pays will be higher than, than the resident who derives all of his income in New York. Substantial reason that New York offers for the validity of such an arrangement. This is the inevitable result of the fact that New York, with respect to non-residents, is only looking at, and believes it is entitled to only look at, their net income from the economic activity that they conduct within New York State. And that um, deductions, however large they may be in relationship to the total income, which have no relation, which are not uh, incurred to produce or to generate that in-state income, are simply not something that New York uh, is required to take into account. Well, you don't do that for New Yorkers. You allow New Yorkers to deduct stuff that is not uh, not incurred in the generation of the New York income. You give them all sorts of personal deductions. But again, what uh, justification is there for not allowing the same treatment to out-of-staters? In, in the context of the New York resident. Again, we are looking not only at the, the New York residents, uh, New York income, but the New York residents' worldwide income. And so the New York resident, as, as a general matter, uh, is someone who, who will generally be subject to a burden of taxation, which is greater than that uh, of an individual in, in petitioner's uh, situation. Uh, again, under the Privileges and Immunities Clause... If you're looking at all his income for purposes of taxes, you're entitled uh, to give him all deductions uh, of, of any sort. But these people, since they're out-of-staters, you're not looking to all of their income, except as to the rate, and therefore you don't have to give them all the deductions. I guess there's a certain parallelism there. That, that, is, that is correct, Justice Scalia. Residents also afford the state an opportunity to take into account um, certain uh, personal activities of its residents uh, that it uh, is not, in our view, required to take into account for purposes of, of non-residents. And, and uh, under the Privileges and Immunities Clause, um, absolute equality of treatment has never been the hallmark. With absolute equality of treatment, I, I found it awfully easy to construct bizarre examples. That, that is, I, I just imagined a person at $100,000 income, all out of New York, and $50,000 alimony, and all you have to do is you multiply by 4%, and that person is paying what, 4% times 50,000, I guess, is uh, $2,000. And then apply your formula, and your formula will be $100,000, the total income, over federal minus the alimony, which will be 50, so you get a multiple of two, and so you have the New York person paying 2,000, the Connecticut person paying 4,000. And if, by the way, the person had a bad year, and his income went down to where it was close to the judicial decree for alimony, suppose he had 100,000, but his alimony was 90, you're going to get results 
that they are, are going to be phenomenal. I mean, what will happen is the New York person on $1,000 will pay, let's say, if it's 10%, they'd pay 1000 You'd have to multiply by a multiple of 10, and you would discover that the, the, the uh, uh, Connecticut resident has a $10,000 tax in New York, or if it's 8%, $8,000, and his real income is uh, 10000 Am I wrong in those? I mean, I just all I did was apply the formula. You know, I took the formula. It says he has $100,000, he has 90000 alimony. For New York purposes, he has $10,000 income. He pays, let's say, 8% or 10%. That's $1,000. And it says you're supposed to take the New York total, which is 100000 right? And, and then you have in the, denom- the, uh, that's the, the, the denominator is federal, but not counting alimony. So that's 10. So 100 is 10 times 10. So you multiply 10 times the New York tax, and you discover you've got $10,000 in tax. Wow. I mean, I, mean I, I, I could create you know, worse ones, or I suppose there are a lot of better ones, but, but it seemed to me that it was pretty easy to create odd examples, and, and, uh, which seemed very unfair. Now, am I wrong about the ease uh, of doing that, or is there some justification for that, or is it just bizarre that a person uh, would have, say, half his income in alimony and yet all of his income out of New York, or that he could have a bad year or what? Your mathematics are entirely correct, and your application of the, of the formula are, are correct. Um, the justification for it that, that, that New York uh, has, has offered is, is, I guess, twofold. The first one, again, is this is exactly the result that, that, that is contemplated by this court's decision in Schaffer and by this court's decision in, in the portion of Travis upon which we rely and, and has been um, what accepted. What was that portion? Because that's been a little fuzzy to me. I know what they held about the exemptions, that you have to give the out-of-state the same personal exemption. But what is the part that you were relying on? The taxpayer in Travis also specifically challenged the provision of the New York, then-New York tax law, Section 360, Subdivision 11, which permitted non-residents the deductions available to residents only if and to the extent connected with New York income. And taxpayers specifically challenged that provision in its brief in this court, uh, arguing that it would, for example, disallow the Connecticut resident who worked in New York a deduction for his real property taxes, while at the same time allowing the New York resident uh, a deduction for the real property taxes on the New York residents. Was it hypothetical or was there something in the case that this taxpayer said, I want a deduction for my real property tax or my life insurance premium and they're not giving it to me. I believe that because of the posture of that case and because of who the taxpayer was, that issue was, was hypothetical. The taxpayer in this case was a Connecticut corporation that employed a number of Connecticut residents in New York as well as uh, residents of other states and was challenging the entire personal income tax treatment of non-residents, uh, including personal exemptions, including the fact that it was required to withhold only with respect to, to non-residents uh, and, and, and this deduction provision. So there were a number of provisions that were being challenged by the employer uh, rather than by any particular taxpayer who was pointing to him or herself and saying, this tax adversely affects me this way. But that example was included within their brief, and I believe that that example was what this court responded to when it said that um, that the state is, is permitted to limit the deduction in the case of non-residents to those expenses that are connected with the New York income is settled by the Schaefer case. I think they were referring to uh, that particular contention of the uh, taxpayer in, in, uh, in the Travis case. And uh, subsequent to Travis, uh, this court has repeatedly in, in summary dismissals, in effect, permitted states to recognize that the difference in tax treatment, which is 
mandated by the Constitution, the fact that we can only reach the, uh, the non-resident's state source income, permits, justifies state treating personal deductions differently in the case of non-residents. You say personal deductions, so uh, I gather that you are making the distinction between uh, expenses for the production of income and personal expenses, and you are not relying to any extent on on the peculiarity of alimony that it is a two-way thing. One gets a deduction, the other gets income. We treat alimony, in our view, alimony is properly treated as a personal expense deduction because it is not incurred to produce the income within New York State that New York just, State Just has. like um, the sole or whatever. So, but, but you're not, uh, I would just like to be clear on getting a factor out of my head if it shouldn't be there, that is that the, the uh, spouse who receives the alimony would be paying the state in which he resides income on it. The residence of the recipient is not a factor in our analysis. Well, if, if the former wife receiving the alimony lived in New York, would that spouse be taxed on the alimony income by New York? Yes, New York would tax the recipients yes. regardless of the location right. of the payor. But you don't, on the other hand, allow the deduction as a result as the federal government would. We, I thought that, that under our cases, under the Privileges and Immunities Clause, there had to be a reasonable relationship between whatever the evil is presented by the non-resident and the rule adopted by the state. And I just haven't heard what that reasonable relationship is here to justify New York's rule. I'd, I'd really like to hear that. Please. Again, the, the relationship is, I guess, is twofold. Um, first, um, we don't tax the non-resident uh, with respect to anything that occurs outside New York, and, and in our view, we are not required, as a result of that, to take into account with respect to the non-resident anything that is unrelated to the economic activity that that non-resident is doing within the state of New York. Um, again, we're put in the posture of not being able to afford equality of treatment um, from the very beginning. This is not a case where New York has gone out of its way to single out non-residents. They're different by virtue of the due process clause and by virtue of our reach. But he's, he's not asking for the entirety of the deduction. He's only asking for a percentage of the deduction that is equivalent to the percentage of his total income, which consists of New York income. I mean, your answer would be a good one if he was coming in and saying, give me a full deduction. And you say, well, we can't tax you on your out-of-state, and therefore we don't have to give you a deduction. But he's saying, no, give me the whole deduction. Just give me the same percentage that I give, you know, that New York income constitutes of my total income. We don't dispute that that is a reasonable approach. In fact, it's one that New York did follow between 1961 and 1987. Uh, we do believe, however, that New York is not required to afford... A, a proportionate deduction, uh, and we believe that our rule is in fact a better rule because it, it uh, recognizes that uh, the alimony uh, simply has nothing to do with where petitioner earns his income. There's no particular reason. How is it a better for... rule in the circumstances described by Justice Breyer? Why, why is New York's present rule better? 
looks to me like there are some circumstances where it's an absolutely lousy rule. There are there there are cases where the, the hypothetical posited by Justice Breyer uh, will happen. Um, in fact, isn't it true that one of the things that troubles me, and I didn't, it's a very troublesome case, is if the non-resident turns out in one year to be extraordinarily generous, giving large amounts of money to charity, to hospitals, one thing or another, they're all deductible on the federal return. The net effect of that is to increase his, his New York tax because it, it makes the denominator so much bigger in your, in your uh, fraction. That's true. Uh, so that in a way, his activities out of state this is the second way in which activities out of state impact on the tax he pays in New York in a kind of a perverse way. Because a very generous person, you'll end up with a higher New York tax. He ends up with a higher New York tax than a comparably situated New York resident having. Or that he would have had to pay if he didn't do all these things. If he didn't have all those deductions, the denominator would be smaller. And therefore, his, his New York tax would be uh, uh, smaller. Uh, with respect to charitable contribution deductions, uh, I'm not sure that they, they because they, they don't affect either the, uh, they're below the line deductions, in other words, they're deductions from adjusted gross income for federal purposes to get taxable income. Um, they're not, I believe that the, the fraction is neutral with respect to them because they are not a reduction of either New York source income or federal adjusted gross is, is, is the, the denominator in that. So, so with respect to those, uh, I don't believe that, that there would be a difference. Um, into the, the difference with respect to alimony. But my, my examples were meant to be quite ordinary, most of them. I mean, the one that they have 100% in New York and you get the odd rate. But in, whether it's those examples or the, uh, you know, the unusual ones you can construct with the generous person, you had two justifications because you've said twofold several times. And I've heard one, and I want to be sure I got the other. Second one is, is simply, again, that the concept that New York... Um, can do for its residents things that it is not obligated to do for non-residents. And that, um, again, the, the Privileges and Immunities Clause and other provisions of the Constitution have, have been allowed, have, have been construed to permit certain beneficial residents' treatments based on, on policy adopted by particular states with respect to uh, the right to vote, uh, the, the right to um, hold elective office, the right to free public education or, or welfare, medical benefits. Well, maybe you could allow a de I could see uh, you're allowing a deduction for contributions to uh, New York charities that are not allowed for deductions to out-of-state charities, or maybe allowing a deduction for payment of county or municipal taxes in New York only and not out of state. I, I can see some policy justification for that, but, but you're not giving me any policy justification. It's just sort of a yeah, yeah, yeah argument. Uh, we, we do it because, because we can do it. That's why. I mean, that, that doesn't seem to me a, a policy justification. It's, uh, it, it's not intended to be a simply because we can argument, uh, Justice Scalia. It, with respect to the, the treatment of alimony, um, the policy, if you, if you will, is to really conform the treatment of, of uh, alimony, of, of income splitting, post-marriage with, with the treatment of, of uh, uh, income splitting with people who are married. Uh, so now you, go, you are going back and you say it does count that most often the spouse will be in the other state so that you are, you are not allowing the deduction, but on the other hand, you're not getting your hands on the income to tax. It's because with respect to, to married people, we don't allow income splitting unless they're both residents. If one of the parties is a non-resident, income splitting 
uh, is not permitted in, in the case of people who are still married. And this, this provision is, is conforms that uh, same rule with respect to, pe- to income splitting with respect to people who are no longer married. Why but did New York change in 87? You said they had the other rule where they allowed the same deductions, personal deductions, and then they changed. What prompted the change? Well, the uh, um, treatment of marital income generally was addressed in 87, and, and at that time New York uh, abolished the uh, um, filing separately on the same return status that married people had previously enjoyed and went to more or less full income splitting for the first time, which is premised on the assumption that uh, spouses share marital income, total marital income equally. Um, again, that was the assumption underlying uh, treatment of people who were still married to each other. And because alimony, as, as you pointed out, is a tax-shifting device um, rather than a true deduction, um, the, the treatment of alimony uh, with respect to non-residents was designed to bring that into congruence with the, the uh, treatment of income splitting for people who are still together, still married to each other. But there's a countervailing consideration, isn't there, in, in the fact pointed out by your brother that uh, alimony is characteristically assessed on the basis of total income and therefore there is a, a very strong relationship between the amount of alimony ordered and, and the income earned in New York. There, there is a relationship, but, but in our view, the, the controlling standard is, is the one set forth by this court in, in the Gilmore case, which looks to the origin of the claim in characterizing uh, an expense as personal or business under Section 162 of the Internal Revenue Code uh, with respect to marital dissolution in, in Gilmore, uh, simply because the expenses were encouraged to preserve and, and, and to uh, protect uh, the taxpayer's uh, income-producing assets, was not enough to give them a sufficient nexus to make them related uh, under Section 162 to be, to be deductible for, for income tax purposes. We argue the same standard ought to apply in a case like this, that the alimony in this case related, though it may have been to the petitioners, uh, the amount of petitioners' worldwide income, including the New York source income, uh, was not uh, incurred to produce that income or incurred in carrying on the trader business that, uh, that generated that income, and that that should be the, the test with respect to alimony or any other personal expense. Do you know how many states do it the way New York is currently doing it? I believe that uh, in addition to New York, there are uh, six other states that specifically disallow alimony deductions. However, there are a number of other states that have relied upon the the general tenor of the the, uh, Schaefer and Travis cases as well as summary dismissals such as Goodwin to treat a number of different items uh, differently for for non-residents, including in addition to the alimony expense we're talking about here today, real estate taxes and mortgage interest on out-of-state residents, medical expenses, insurance premiums, moving expenses, income averaging, rollover of gain on the sale of principal residence, grocery and medical tax rebates, uh, food sales tax credit, and homestead tax rebates, all of which have been upheld uh, under Privileges and Immunities Clause challenges. Well, under, under your principle, I suppose, if the taxpayer living in Connecticut had a second home on Long Island in New York, you could deny him the home interest deduction. The, the deduction would not be allowed in computing New York source income, that is correct, because it, it does not relate to the production of New York source income. I, I guess I'd like to address uh, the, um, the, the policy reason. Um, uh, what, what is it about, about uh, 
these, these personal deductions and about the non-resident status that it seems to be that justifies what we're doing. And again, we're not we're not simply saying we're doing it because Schaefer and and Travis and Goodwin and the others say we can. We're doing it because we think it's it's perfectly reasonable and, and it's it's entirely justified for New York to say with respect to non-residents, all we have jurisdiction over regarding you is what you do here, your economic activity here, and that it's reasonable and 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 permissible for us to say to, the, to those people, we will allow you uh, deductions with respect to the production of the, of, the, of the income, the net income from your economic activity here. We'll, we'll look at what you do here and we'll let you deduct that. We'll tax you on your net income. But we're not going to let you take into account uh, either losses or, or deductions arising from expenses in out-of-state businesses over which we have no jurisdiction. And we're also not going to take into account personal expenses that you that you may incur in your personal life in some other jurisdiction, even though with respect to people who reside in New York, we will allow them. Uh, New York has believed and, and continues to believe that that is a substantial justification and a legitimate reason for for what New York has done in this case. Why, are, why aren't those personal expenses? I mean, if, if 20% of your income is from New York, well, why, why, isn't, why isn't 20% of those personal expenses fairly attributable to New York income? I mean, you're, you're sort of adopting the, the premise that all of your personal expenses come from non-New York state income. That seems to me an unreasonable premise. Again, we're not saying that the, the, the contention uh, is, is, is being argued for uh, in terms of this would be a reasonable approach is, is, is not true. That we're not saying it's an unreasonable approach, but we are saying that we don't think the Privileges and Immunities Clause requires that absolute equality of, of, or at least that percentage equality of treatment. Um, and again, these expenses have nothing to do with where Mr. Lunding earned his income. Um, and there really is no principled basis other than just uh, saying, well, 20% of the income, 20% of the deductions, for, for looking at what happened in Connecticut. There's, there's no reason for, for us uh, to say, well, it could be 20, but it could be more than 20. Uh, we could say that with respect to his medical expenses, uh, he's, he, he's uh, entitled to more than that because um, uh, it was really primarily related to his uh, getting back and forth to New York and dealing with the rush hour traffic. Uh, I mean, there's there's no um, there's no principled reason, no constitutional principled requirement for New York to be forced under the Privileges and Immunities Clause to adopt a, a rateable approach, even though, as I said, that that is one that New York has followed in the past. Um, Can I just give you one hypothetical that keeps running through my mind, and just ask you to comment on? Supposing you've got a Connecticut resident and a New York resident, both of whom make exactly the same amount of money, both of whom. Uh, drive all their income from New York, their commuters. One of them's a commuter and one lives in the city. And one of them, the one who lives in, in Connecticut, donates a substantial amount of money to the, the uh, law school in New York and wants a charitable deduction. The one who lives in New York donates, donates a substantial amount of money to Yale and Connecticut. The one who gets the deduction is the one who makes the donation to the New York recipient. Well, Justice Stevens, in computing... You know, it does not get the deduction, is the one, yeah. In, in computing the, the New York source income portion of the equation, that's correct. But in computing the tax as if a, as if a resident, which is the, the number by which the fraction is multiplied, uh, you do treat the non-resident as, as if the non-resident were a resident, uh, so that there is, a, there is 
again, this doesn't affect the computation of the fraction because the charitable contribution deduction is below the line in both cases. Um, so there is, there is a... Would they be taxed the same in my hypothetical? Would the bottom line be the same? I believe that the... Obviously, the, when you computed the New York the tax as if a resident on the part of the New York resident, obviously it stopped because that would be the answer. Uh, the percentage of that that would be paid by the, the um, non-resident wouldn't be affected by the formula, by the fraction, which is the, the other thing, because New York source income is, is a net number without any reduction for itemized deductions such as the charitable contribution. I, I thought to oversimplify it that the New York resident would get the deduction and the Connecticut resident would not, in my hypothetical. In, in looking at the New York fraction, Justice Stevens, there's no, there's no difference in, the, in the, the New York source income number. There would be no deduction in computing New York source income for the charitable contribution. That's not a constitutional point. So any, any constitutional holding that permitted you to do what you've done here would permit Justice Stevens' hypothetical. All it would take would be a federal statute that does the same thing that the statute did here. A delegation imposes, a, you know, convinces the other members of Congress to write a little thing which says that uh, New York source uh, alimony is not, you know, the way they did it here, they do the same thing for charity. They could do the same thing for anything. So it would be easy under the Constitution to replicate just that problem, wouldn't it? Our, and that's what's worrying me, of course, if it's constitutionally permissible to do this. The states that are always anxious to get more money uh, could think of, you know, dozens and dozens of ways to produce uh, the kinds of results that we were talking about. It's, it's true that, that I believe our, our argument would, would permit, uh, it doesn't work in New York's particular methodology, but our argument is, is based on the, the legitimacy of permitting states to focus solely on the economic activity within the state and, and not to look at the... Uh, Maybe the aspect. distinction is that New York treats non-residents as just purely mechanical money-making machines, whereas it treats its own people as whole persons and citizens who have all sorts of interests other than making money. Because that's what you treat the non-resident. All New Yorkers, after all. Yeah. Uh, uh, New York. In fact, as to as to New York State, um, uh, that is a, a permissible, in our view, that that's all right. That's that's a distinction that, that we seek to draw. It's a distinction that uh, New York and other states have always, uh, at least since 1920, thought that they had the power to draw. Um, and and it's a reasonable distinction based on the fact that, that we we argue that we should not be required to take into account the the, the fact that yes. Uh, Mr. Lunding does have a personal life, uh, but it's a personal life that is related to Connecticut, not related to any of the other places from which Mr. Lunding derives his, his income. Is there no further questions? Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Bing. The case is submitted. The Honorable Court is now adjourned until Monday next at 10 o'clock.